where nobody knows your name is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. Hello and welcome back to Where Nobody Knows Your Name, a Cheers podcast. We're talking about episode 10 of season 5, Everyone Imitates Art. Joining us for this is John, as usual, and he's back. It's Troy. All right, mate. <laughs> yes, boys. How you doing? Not too bad. How are you doing, Troy? All the better for being back with you. You're going to join us for three episodes, starting with this one. It's a good bunch. Yeah, I am. Loved every single one of them. I love all of them, but yeah, these three were superb. What is this episode called, John? It's Everyone Imitates Art. It's written by Heidi Perlman and directed by James Burroughs. So we're in safe hands, I think, with these ones. They know what's up. If Heidi writes a bad one, uh, Maya goes, hey, come on, sis. <laughs> Less of that. Up your game. Up your game. <laughs> Pull your finger out. Well, I suppose we should start off with the cold open. I think Woody's in an empty bar, isn't it? Everyone's gone home. Just cleaning down. I feel like probably all of us have had that, that kind of job before. We've got to clean down. The graveyard shift, the last one in there. You have to clean up the mess of everyone else through the tea. Yep. There's that one old man who won't leave. <laughs> Just go home. Anything to stay away from the wife. No, go home. <laughs> Norm, yeah. Yeah, Norm. Definitely Norm. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's there's no old man in the, in this cold open, but there is a radio to keep him company. And I, I didn't know what... There's an advert for the radio for new jobs for a court stenographer. Couldn't tell you what one of those is. I believe from the context, it's someone who types what everyone's saying in court. That's going to be one of those age-old traditions where they never go out of fashion. Like they'll always be like nurses, midwives, doctors, stenographers. On a typewriter still as well. On a typewriter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. None of this digital nonsense. <laughs> but the, the, the joke of this cold open is that there's a telephone number to, to ring and Woody just cannot get grasps on it. That number again. Five double five six one one nine. Don't delay. To have an exciting career in court stenography, just call five double five six one one nine now. And then, despite the number being read out three times, he just cannot get it. Then, when he realizes, he's just like, "Ah, sod it!" Just carries on whistling and goes back to sweeping up. <laughs> but I think I'd rather do this sweep and then rapidly type in. I hate minuting things. It was quite. Classy, though, because he was a uh, whistling Baby Elephant Walk by Henry Mancini. From the John Wayne movie, Hatari. There you go. Troy's done his research, John. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, I'm, I'm glad Troy's here because he said it and I was going to just blank. <laughs> I suppose that brings us into the main episode after our uh, credits. This is kind of a, a, an interesting start because we find out that Carla's been planning a holiday to Graceland. By the sounds of it, she goes every year. Many a song we could discuss here. Paul Simon's Graceland. Black Velvet, which is also a cocktail. Do you know what I found? Not weird, but just it kind of, I was like, oh gosh, it was that long ago. And she mentions, oh, it's the 10th anniversary of his death coming around. It's not every time you get to celebrate the, the 10th anniversary. And I was like, gosh, at the time that they recorded this, it had only been 10 years since he died. Watching it now, when you're just like, it was a hell of a lot longer than 10 years, but it just, it sort of threw me a little bit, just thinking, oh gosh, it, it goes back that long. I was going to say, you mentioned Paul Simon's. Carl doesn't have time for Paul Simon. She's all about <laughs> Elvis. It's Elvis or nothing for Carl. No, I have no time for Simon and or Garfunkel. <laughs> I, I feel like this is the first time we've found out that Carl is a big fan of the King, though. I don't think that's come up much before. Not to this extent. But I think it's not a surprise, particularly women of that era. He was a bit of a sex symbol. Was your boy Elvis? Those adder hips. 
<laughs> the quaking knees and that's alvis the quaking knee. you want to get that checked out mate rickets or something but i suppose this is the b plot our a plot is a little bit more classy about fine poetry it's a good old-fashioned poem off oh yes <laughs> sam clearly doesn't understand poetry or get poetry no nah. <laughs> let me our sam's ballpark but i suppose the, the the setup is that diane has received a letter saying that she hasn't been published this time, but she's got promising talent. And she takes this very much to heart and believes that she's got to keep trying and she's going to make it one day kind of thing. And Sam and the rest of the bar say this is like a... Fool's gesture. Yeah, pretty much. Snipe hunt. Like a rare Pokemon. Like trying to find a shiny. Yeah, yeah, that's a reference. And if we continue that reference, Sam's pretty convinced he can get a shiny too. That sounds weird. That's your analogy. Going to bag a Mewtwo is Sam. (laughs) <laughs> but Sam would love Pokemon He's adamant he's going to write a better poem than Diane Or an equal poem to, than Diane uh, Get the same rejection letter Any of you write poetry? Um, <laughs> uh, I think I probably tried when I was an angsty teenager Once or twice And failed it's like the, my, my analysis of poetry is pretty bad So in my exam We had to, you know, you, like in your exam You have to read a poem and sort of analyse it I took it line by line I don't know what poem it was, I can't remember. But I thought it was about this lovely summer's day because I would just would read a line, write about that line, move to the next. It turns out it was about a bomb going off. Oh, wow. And I only realised until like, the like... Was it Wilfred Owen or something? Maybe. I had to go back through and just cross everything out and try and redo this in a timed <laughs> exam because I'd, it was terrible. It was the most stressful experience I've ever had. It's... You have any favourite poets? Not, not really. Mine, by technicality, is probably Bob Dylan because he won Poet Laureate once. Oh, the old loophole. Yeah. Aren't, aren't songwriters essentially poets? Yeah, poems with music. Yeah. You may know more about this than either John and I, Troy, but wasn't that how hip-hop started? That they wrote poems and then... Pretty much essentially like the, the whole breakbeat was essentially kind of 5, 10, 15 second kind of breakbeat within a song that they would then loop over and over to create a backing track. And then, yeah, it was essentially just kind of rhymes and poetry and spoken word stuff about the life that people were living and the environment that they were in and stuff like that and the hardship and everything. Storytelling was what it was. So, yeah. Yeah, we know what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're educated in the hip to hop. And or. This is what Sam's kind of uh, vibe is, that he feels like he can just write about his everyday. He says all it has to do is rhyme, and Diane says poems don't even have to rhyme, and he says even easier. We find out there's a three-week time jump, and Diane's kind of gloating a little bit about how Sam hasn't got his rejection letter yet, saying that he's got promise. Sam makes it into one of the literary books, so Diane walks into the bar and he's just like, oh... I think you'll find this one interesting to read. I didn't realize the new issue was out. Yeah, it's not bad either. They, they got one I really like. Uh, page 37, I believe. Yeah, read it out loud. It'd be good for me to hear. All right. Nocturne by Sam Malone. <laughs> the toys are out of the pram and she can't believe it's happened. And then, <laughs> and then she turns into Dot Cotton. Just smoking and drinking gin. (laughs) She has the book at one point before that happens. She has the book, the the magazine, I think, that it's in, and she just kind of throws it down in angst. And I can't remember it says it it might be Norm. It could be Cliff, but it's just, oh, books are our friends. And she throws it to the floor. (laughs) Diane then just thinks it's rubbish and mocks it. Yeah, she does like a a review and says it's like... Trash. Yeah, trash. Just trash. She reads it. I fly through a puckish arena. Where echoes dance, where echoes dance, where echoes dance. This sounds familiar. Well, you said it three times. 
yeah, this is where the her hunt for the plagiarism comes into full swing and she's adamant that he's copied from somewhere. This is what James said, where she goes full dot cotton, she's chain smoking with piles of books all around her, trying to find find where these lines are stolen from. And it's quite a weird kind of setup. I don't think we've seen Diana like that before. The only time we've seen her like that was when she was uh, drinking a bottle of wine to herself and singing Bob Dylan's She's Just Like a Woman. Oh, come on now, James. We've all done that. That's just a Friday night, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and it's classic because it's wine and, and, and a poet. So, yeah. yeah. That's it. Sam then just continues to kind of mock her about how she's stuck behind other poets that she sort of looked down on previously. And because she gave him so much stick, like, oh, you won't be able to write it and you don't understand it. You don't know what it means to be a poet. And she just has an absolute meltdown. <laughs> well, it's because she had dreams, Troy. Diane has a lot of dreams. I've noticed watching this. Each week is a new childhood dream that just falls flat on its face. Do you want to know what Woody was uh, sweeping up in that cold open? Uh, Diane's dreams. <laughs> Diane's dreams, yeah. <laughs> the shattered remains of her dreams. That's it. <laughs> well, i tell you what, she, she, she will be sweeping because she, she's got some poems that she's trying to write, which are unfinished. Hurricane of Wills, The Death of a Shallow Man. And a bartender dismembered. And these are all of her unfinished poems. Bartender she... dismembered. It sounds like a Stephen King novel. During his Cujo phase, he has no memory <laughs> of writing. <laughs> so after this, does Carla comes back from Graceland, doesn't she? And she's all kind of jovial that she's celebrated the 10th anniversary and that she's quite keen to show everyone her photos. And she shows Woody the photo of her and the cardboard cutout of Elvis. <laughs> Woody's like, how's it so realistic? He's, you can't even tell the difference. <laughs> and, and then Carla goes, it's a cardboard cutout. And he goes, wow, it looks just like you. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> oh, I love Woody. Bless him. There was a line early on in the episode where I think Carla comes back in and she's fuming and absolutely raging and she stood next to Norm. All the stinking, dirty, rotten, maggot-sucking, vermin-infested stinkweeds. Practicing for that Mother of the Year speech again, Carla? <laughs> Shut up! I think that deserves to be in the poetry book. <laughs> Have you guys ever had uh, photos taken like at, at an attraction like that where they're so obviously like... Like, Elvis is dead, you know? I've had a couple of photos of cardboard cutouts. Like, when I've been to wrestling events and they have, like, the life-size cutouts to give you a sort of a scale and an idea for how big some of these people are. <laughs> Stand next to this giant. Yeah, yeah. Oh, here's one of Andre the Giant. I'm like, yeah, I actually feel like a borrower stood next to that. <laughs> so, yeah, I've had my fair share of cardboard cutout and, and model photos of that. <laughs> oh, I've, I've had one, and it was for... The, this is going to sound very sort of square in comparison to these ones. The Titanic Museum. We my dad went, and we've got this picture where we're pretending to be just about to aboard the Titanic when so clearly we weren't. But they had like this box of like random hats and coats you can put on. And I'm in this, and my dad's just in his own stuff, but we both look from the time period. <laughs> so he had a flat cap with him anyway. Now we've immortalized the time when we pretended we were about to aboard the Titanic. It's fun times. But yeah, Carla, Carla's definitely had a good time, and she's, she's up to the nines in March. She's got t shirts, I think she's got a hat. I'd be the same if I went to something like that. Not necessarily Elvis, but I'm a sucker for just buying all of the merchandise. I went to a wrestling event last year in Texas and I bought a wrestling belt for like 400 pounds. So I was just like, I don't hold it against Carla. You treat yourself, girl. You go. So when we return back to the episodes, Diane's still adamant that Sam has plagiarized and she's going in a bit of a downward spiral and Sam calls her into his office. 
to uh, reveal the truth. She, yeah, she basically concedes that she just won't make it as a poet and that Sam's one and that she's only ever going to be a waitress. And I think one of the patrons in, in the bar overhears that. And when she says, oh, I'll only ever be a waitress. And she's just, he's just like, can I get a drink then, please? And then that's it. A head just drops. And he's like, Sam's like, look, let's go and have a chat. I want to have a chat with you in my office. And rather than her getting up out of the chair, turns around, spins it and drags her through the back of the bar. One thing I did notice is when he did drag her through, you can see the scratch marks on the floor where they've clearly done several takes beforehand. You mentioned the customer there. John, you'll be disappointed that it wasn't Al. No, it wasn't. But he was in the background in, in some shots I saw. Just sitting there. Wasn't even credited or uncredited on IMDb. I think at this point they'd just gone, just assume Al's there until we tell you otherwise. But that customer was played by Michael Holden. He also appeared in Happy Days, Freddy's Nightmares, Quantum Leap, LA Law, Melrose Place, Home Improvement, Diagnosis Murder, The West Wing, 24, CSI, Desperate Housewives, and many others. Crikey. Quite the career. There's some standouts there. So yeah, Sam drags Diane into the office to basically explain the situation and to come clean about it, doesn't he? And it turns out that actually he copied the poem from a love letter that she wrote him and Diane's surprised and elated that a, I think that he's kept it and that also, and probably more to her point that she wrote it and she couldn't believe that she didn't recognize the exquisite fluidity of the words. She's a poet and she didn't even know it is the summary (laughs) of this episode. (laughs) Yeah. So after trashing it, when she thought he wrote it, she now sees it in a new light and thinks it's the best thing she's ever read. Fickle. It's because she's, she's not a critic, John. What do I know? <laughs> the main thing she does take away is the fact that he's kept all of her letters. And she, she says, this is proof that you, you love me. He says he doesn't. And she says, look me in the eyes and say you don't. Which he does do. Pretty convincing. It's, she doesn't realise at first. She's like, oh, you, you've got one of the letters. And she, she goes to leave the office. And Sam thinks he's gotten away with it. And she's like... How is it you always manage to squirm away from these things unscathed? Like, I'm going to make you suffer. And she's like, I want you to come out and tell the whole bar that it wasn't you that wrote it and that you copied it from me. And as they're about to leave, she kind of kisses him and is elated about it. I think when she initially, when she first realizes that it's her that's written it, she has this kind of overcome of joy. And she's about to say, oh, it's the same feeling as when you, and she goes, uh, when you ride a bike. It reminds you of the first time I rode a bike bike and so when she runs back in and finds out that sam's kept all of the letters because he goes back into his safe and he opens up the little box and there's a stack of them that he kind of neatly undoes the ribbon on top and she's like i knew it you've kept all of them so they embrace and he's like so uh do you want to come back to my place and ride a bike (laughs) classy sam classy it's the whole oh i can't believe you kept them you are you really are in love with me and he's adamant that no no they've got no sentimental values like i've got leftover pizza boxes that have more meaning than these letters. <laughs> no, it's just a box of tat, Diane. <laughs> but he then sort of tries to convince her that he doesn't love her anymore and just says, no, that's it. There's there's nothing between us. There's a lot of junk in that box, isn't there? It's a lot of tat. I've got one of those. It literally says mountain on top of it. Like <laughs> I've had it for years. I didn't buy it. It was bought for me because of the amount of tat that I've had. But can confirm there's no love letters in there. It is just rubbish. So yeah, and that's how the episode ends uh, with Diane hugging Sam, as he desperately tries to prove that the love letters mean nothing. Lies. They mean everything to you, Sam. Everything. Whoa, we know what that noise means. It's trivia time. 
Love me some trivia. Who wants to kick off with a question then? No one sent any trivia in to Troy in our pile of letters, so I guess we'll be asking you then, Troy. We've already talked about the job advertising the cold open, but what is the phone number and how does one study in this course? What does one need to do to actually become a stenographer? Um, Numbers got lots of nines or fives in, I think. I know it's it's fives or nines. I'm sure there's like three of them in the middle of the of the overall number. I think you are correct that it begins with three fives, as that's an area code. The Ghostbusters number also starts with three fives. Oh, nice! Love that. What was the other part of the question? The phone number was five 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 six one one nine. Yeah. And to become a stenographer, you need to do a six week course through the Emory School of Stenography. Right. Obviously, I wonder if that number's still active. I mean, I've tried calling Ghostbusters and Nout. That's dis- that's disappointing. That's one number you'd expect to be active. Yeah. I mean, who <laughs> else am I going to call? <laughs> well, my question will be for both of you. It's kind of an open question. We've heard a lot about Elvis, but what are Elvis' most popular songs on Spotify? I'm looking for just in the top five. I can tell you what songs it's not, James. Oh, come on now. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was going to bring this up. My drunken karaoke. <laughs> my reputation holds no bounds. I'll shoot myself in the foot then. Is it lonely this Christmas? What? By mud? That's a funny way of spelling Elvis. <laughs> I, I have realised I've, I've basically just done family fortunes here. I imagine we got three guesses, like in family fortunes or family feud for the American listeners. I'll... I'll throw one of my guesses away by insulting myself and saying lonely this Christmas, which I realised in retrospect after singing it drunkly at karaoke and having the, the drag queens who were hosting this this pub event stare at me, <laughs> clearly going, this man <laughs> is too drunk. He doesn't even know which band he's singing. <laughs> well, our survey says... Suspicious minds? And our survey says... <laughs> hey, number two... Can't help falling in love? What, number one? Come on. I've still got another go. That's they're the only couple of songs I can remember. Uh, are you lonesome tonight? <sighs> Sorry, it's not in the top five. Oh. James might steal this. Burning Love. That's number four. I'm going to go with Hound Dog. Oh, that's, that's number five. Might be able to steal for Troy here. I'm going to go for Blue Christmas. Incorrect. Oh, it's between two. Jailhouse Rock? Hey, we've got it. Yes. Some popular ones are always on my mind and in the ghetto. In the ghetto. In the ghetto. (laughs) Speaking of songs or poems, what is the name of the poem Sam manages to publish, which he plagiarised like a common thief? Oh, I didn't even write it down in my notes. I don't know this either. I don't know. It's Nocturne. That's disappointing because now you say it, I remember that. So I've got one more. I'll open this to both of you again. I can relate to this episode quite a bit because in primary school, we had to enter a competition to be published for a short story. And I copied a film. Is, is the game Guess Which Film You Copied? It is Guess Which Film. It had to be a 50-word short story, and I copied a scene from a film. My short story began with, a grenade slid across the floor. Um, and there was a fairly intense descriptive shootout where this prisoner... Had sort of like a bloody sort of face, and then a window blew up, and he was in a skyscraper, and he jumped out the window into a helicopter. Everyone was very proud of me, but my brother saw through it and knew I copied a film. <laughs> any, any ideas on the film? It's the Matrix, isn't it? It is the Matrix. Oh, yeah, it's Morpheus. Yeah, yeah, Morpheus's breakout. This got published into a young author's short story compilation book. 
for some reason, they're talking about reincarnation. What would Woody like to be in his next life and why? I feel a bit something like Bigfoot or a ghost. <laughs> he might say a ghost. That's a Woody thing to say. I can't remember. It's not a ghost. It's the president of France. Oh, that's it. Because he's like, oh, if I come back to the bar as the president of France, yeah, I remember. It will, it will attract a lot of business to the bar. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> My final question. John's inspired me with his game here. So I'm going to play a game of Name Sam's Tat. <laughs> What's in his box? Whoever can say the most amount of items wins. Have a think of how many items you can name and then say the number and then count we. And if you say your number and you're wrong, then you don't get that. It's like countdown. Like I've gone for a risky six. Nine. I'm going to say two. A save two. Let's go for John's risky nine. Four paper clips, three poker chips, a battery and a whistle. A sign. Oh, I see. You've counted the paper clips and poker chips individually. Oh, yeah. sneaky, sneaky. Wow. Troy, what's your safe two? Paper clips and a stack of love letters. Love letters was the obvious one, wasn't it? <laughs> I'll tell you what was in Sam's box. Warranty for his toaster, a ticket to the 1980 boat show, three poker chips, a key, a whistle, a double C battery, and four paper clips. John won that with his uh, sneaky up-pointing. You sly, sly adder. That's the final call at the bar. What an episode. James has just ate some toast. <laughs> That's how you know it's time to go home. <laughs> I thought you didn't notice. Clubs used to do that. Give toast down at like 3am to get you yeah, going yeah, yeah. Well, James has got his slice. He needs to sober up. And as you're wandering home with your slice of toast, if you're feeling like you want more content from the Where Nobody Knows Your Name podcast, why not check out our Patreon page? We've got some bonus episodes. You can get some nice merch. I think we've got mugs and t-shirts up on there. And you get a shout out at the end of this episode as a regular norm. Exactly. We'll be shouting you out in every episode as part of a subscription model. We've got various subscription models on offer. Free toast not guaranteed. No one wants a piece of toast in the post. Post toast. We'll send the butter separate. It'll be fine. Speaking of dreams and my, my dream for post-toast, let's talk about this episode as we round up. It's four. There's legacies, there's dreams, there's letters. There's heartache, there's torment, there's dreams ripped apart, there's dreams being swept up at the start. I guess you could call it a heartbreak hotel. Wow. You've gone there, haven't you? <laughs> Obligatory Elvis puns. I guess those letters were always on Sam's mind. Come on now. <laughs> I guess Diane had some suspicious minds in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Diane realising she was never going to make it as a poet got her all shook up <laughs> I said I'm, I'm done I think we're going to have to toast the puns at the end of this episode that's, that's what my dedications do <laughs> toast the puns toast to the king oh a toast yes. to the king I think how special though I uh, mentioned it very early is a black velvet it's a song about Elvis we'll put it on our playlist for one we've also got a Spotify playlist we'll put many an Elvis song on there after this I'm sure but black velvet is a Guinness and champagne. Oh, I mean, that's going to curdle, isn't it? I don't know. It's in a cocktail book I've got of James Bond cocktails. And I've gone, ah, yes, that famous Bond cocktail. That famous one, yeah, because he orders that every time he goes to the bar. I'll have a Guinness and champagne. Shit. <laughs> we'll find out if it curdles as we raise them to the dreams of this episode and the legacy that published words keep and published podcasts keep. This is our legacy. Thank you for listening to Where Nobody Knows Your Name. Cheers, podcast. Thank you.